Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. Thank you so much. And, uh, honored to have you today uh, in church with us in week three of a series we have called It's Not You, It's Me. Look at your neighbor and say, It's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. If you haven't called up yet, I'd love to have you catch up on this message series on YouTube. You can find the last two messages. You're in week three of this message series called It's Not You, It's Me. And um, if you're new to our church, uh, we, we preach uh, almost always in a message series. We take one theme and we use that throughout the month or throughout the season that we're in. We got one more week of that. You're always looking for... You know, another what, what's coming next, and in March we'll kind of turn the page and head into a different series that take us all the way through Easter, actually. But uh, but in week three of this series called "It's Not You, uh, It's Me," and uh, the idea is when I get better, every relationship I'm in gets better. Say amen to that. When I get better, every relationship I'm in gets better. When I get better, my work relationship gets better. You, it's amazing what happens when you start working on you. When I get better, my my marriage gets better. When I get better, uh, my uh, parenting gets uh, easier. Not, uh, not even easier. Not the right word. It, it, tolerable. You're able to make it another day, everybody, without killing your kids, you know. Just when you get better, every relationship that you've got gets better in your life. Last week we talked about, if you weren't here, how uh, to not be a person trapped in offense and the spirit of offense and anger and all of that. How to righteously deal with your offense and your hurt and your unmet expectations. I want to dive right in. i got to hurry really quickly. Thank you for your patience, by the way. We have upgraded uh, all of our technology, or not all of it, but a lot of technology on the stage this week, and they're still working out the kinks in that, so thanks for your patience. This week, if you're taking notes, I want you to write at the top of your notes. If you're not taking notes, write this down anyway. You are not as right as you think you are. <laughs> Some of, some, of you, some of you wives just wrote that down for your husbands. Like you wrote it on their notes. Give me your phone. I'm putting this in your phone. You are not as right as you think you are. How many of you, uh, you are probably, how many of you would say you're smarter than the average bear? Let me see all this. I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm smarter than the average bear. You're usually easy to tell. You didn't really have to raise your hands. Everybody kind of knows. Uh, just, just most of you are just better. I'm, ju I'm just smarter. I'm a better... How many of you men know we're better drivers than our wives? Say, hey, hey. I'm starting fights already this morning. I'm better at it. I'm less sinful. I'm more right. I, I can't speak for all of you, but I'm pretty much, I am way above average. Okay, everybody, I am right. I'm not bragging. It's not easy. It's hard to be right all the time. There's so many important issues, and I'm surrounded by a bunch of dumb people. Right? I'm right. Just ask. Yeah, matter of fact, don't ask. I'll tell you. I'm right about whatever it is you're thinking about. I, I'm, right about I'm right about what we believe. I'm right about the end times. Just ask. I'm right about spiritual gifts. I'm right about women in ministry. I'm right about the vaccine. I'm right about masks. I'm right about capitalism. I'm right about the Second Amendment. I'm right about the fact that you can, in fact, wear white after Labor Day. I'm right all of the time. I know it sounds funny, but there's a lot of people, not y'all, but people that go to other churches that I know, 
that are right all the time. That always feel like, man, I got the right answer. I know the right way. I know the right approach. I don't want to bask in my own glory. It's exhausting being right all the time, but I am right all the time. How many of you know somebody like that? Just raise your hand. Don't point at anybody that you know somebody who is right all of the time. Now, here's the problem. Listen to me. You are not. (laughs) I just saw a spouse grab her husband's hand. Get your hand down. You are not. You are, and she's right, somebody said, yeah. You are not as right. Look at me. You're not as right as you think you are. Now, this is going to be a hard one today because I'm talking to religious people. I'm talking to spiritual people. I'm talking to people who feel like you are right almost all the time. Feel like I'm better than, smarter than. God, I don't know why you put me in a room full of dummies like this, but I am right. In my office, i got to work with all of these people who aren't right. Not me, I work at the church. But I, you may have to work. I, I work with people. I go to school with people who are just not right. I wish you ever, you ever faced a problem, Brandon, I do this sometimes. You ever faced a problem and think, I wish somebody would just ask me. I know the answer. I, I do this on I-10. Every day when I take my life into my hands and drive on I-10 in the city limits of Bernie, I think to myself, I wish TxDOT would call me. I know what to do. I can get this right. Are you with me, everybody? Nobody's asked me, though. And I don't know why they're not asking me, because I know the right way. And Anyway, if you know somebody, tell them to call me. I got the right answer. I know the right way. If they would just ask, if somebody would just come to me on my job, I know how to fix this place. Not y'all, but other Christians may walk into a church and go, I know what's wrong with this church. I know If somebody would just ask me, I could get this small group right. I promise you I could clean this church up in just a few. So I, I know what to do here. I know what's wrong here. You ever walked in a restaurant and thought, man, I just w-. You know, the worst people to serve at a restaurant are people who used to work in a restaurant. Right? If you used to be a server and you think, I know. I know what's right. I know what she's doing right now. I know why he hasn't come by and filled my glass up. I wish somebody would just ask me, where's the manager? I need to fix some stuff in, my, in this. I just, I wish somebody would, would, would come to me. You are not as right as you think you are. And let me tell you, listen, every relationship in your life will get better when you realize you are not as right as you think you are. Can I get a better amen? This is going to be a quiet one. Your marriage will get better, men, when you realize you are not as right as you think you are. See how quiet it is? You are a better driver. That's in the Bible. That's in Leviticus. I didn't make that up. That's a Bible principle. But other than that, you're probably not as right as you... It's not in the Bible. I made that up. You're not as right as you think you are. And, And oftentimes, Christians feel like that because we're right, we have this moral high ground. We... I know the right answer. I know the right thing. And sometimes we'll ruin relationships, listen, and we'll struggle in relationships because we have to be right instead of being in relationship. And there are relationships that you have destroyed, that I have destroyed because I was right. Now I want them to know how right I am. And they, they have to know that they're wrong and I'm right. Jesus tells a parable about this. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke. Jesus is talking about this idea of being right and still being wrong. He tells this parable. I don't know if it was true or if he's using it as an illustration. I tend to believe this one is actually a story that he knows. Luke 18 and verse 13. If you're there, say amen. 
If you're not there, you didn't bring your Bible, you can look on the screen and I'll help you. Luke 18 and verse 9 starts like this. To, to some who were confident, listen to how Jesus is addressing this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. Boy, I know. You ever met somebody who is confident about how wrong they, you know what I mean? They're just, they're wrong, but boy, they're opinionated about it. Are you with me on that? They are confident. On the, Jesus said, to some who are confident in their own righteousness, and they look down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. If you work for the IRS today, we love you, and we're so glad that you're here. And our audit came back perfectly fine this year. Thank you for all that you do. But tax collectors were not the most popular then. They're probably not the most popular now. Jesus is telling this, this Pharisee, this religious leader, this person who feels like, man, that they ought to have it right. They ought to have all the answers. And this tax collector that nobody really liked and nobody really felt like he was a good guy. They're both together at the temple to pray, verse 11 and the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed out loud, I imagine. God, I thank you that I'm not like all of these other dummies you've put in my life. Thank you, I'm not like the robbers. I'm not like the evildoers. I'm not like the adulterers. I love how Jesus said this. <laughs> adulterers and robbers. I'm not even like the IRS, the tax collector. I love that he says it that way. God, thank you that I'm right and they are. Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Thank you, God, I vote right, I talk right, I drive right, I am right, I know right, I write right, I speak right, I am right. God, thank you. Verse 12, I fast twice a week, I serve every Sunday, I tithe all I have, I wear the right stuff, I do the right thing, I read the King James only, not that devil translation he preaches out of, I am right, 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 right. <laughs> Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance, wouldn't even look up into heaven, beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus explaining the parable now, verse 14, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than that man, the Pharisee, went home, listen to this, justified before God, right before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exhausted. Exhausted. Jesus. Exalted. You may also be exhausted. <laughs> You're not as right as you think you are. You're not as right as you think you are. Jesus said, listen, I know this Pharisee sees himself as right. And this tax collector sees himself as wrong. But to Jesus, listen, in this parable, the question was not who's right and who's wrong. The question is who has pride inside of their heart and who's humble before God. You can be right and still be wrong. You can have the right argument 
be on the right side of history, be on the right side of, the, of this particular issue. You can have right facts. You can have the right truth. You can be the right one in this marriage and still be wrong. How many of you know you can be right and still sleep on the couch? Come on, somebody. You can be right and sleep all alone. You can be right and not be in relationship with a, with a church family. Now, you're right. They're all wrong, but you're alone. You can be right and destroy a friendship that you've had just so you made a point. You can be right. Proud people are right, but they don't love well, and you are not as right as you think you are. Somebody shout amen to that. I'm trying to help you get better so that everything gets better in your life because unfortunately Christians can slip into spiritual pride and we start thinking that God called you to be right. We start believing that Jesus saved you so you would be right. That Jesus put His Spirit on the inside of you so you would be right. That Jesus gave you spiritual gifts so you would be right. Jesus did not save you so you could win arguments. Jesus saved you so you could win the world. Jesus did not save you so you could be right all the time, that you could have the right answer all the time, that you could feel better than everybody. It, he saved you so you could make a difference in the world. Shout amen to that, everybody. Sometimes we tend to think that we're so right, we're offended by people who are wrong. I don't know why they're so wrong. I'm offended. I'm offended about how they voted. I'm offended about what they posted. I'm offended about how they behaved. I'm offended about how they dress. I'm offended about what they believe. And oftentimes that offense starts simmering on the inside of you. Listen, and it moves from hating what they do to hating who they are. Just look straight ahead. It moves from I just disagree with them. So they're wrong and I'm right. It moves from hating the sin to hating the sinner. If you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, we'll start viewing our position as right, as a way to be the guardian of truth. And we start sitting in the seat of judgment. We become the arbiters of what's right and what's wrong. We say things like, I'll be the judge of that. You know, when Brandy cooks a new dish and she says, you're going to love this. And I say, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> I don't say that. Or if I do, I go hungry. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? I'll be the judge. You're going to love my church. Oh, I'll be the judge of that. You're going to love your small group. Get in a small group this semester. It's going to be the best decision you make. I'll be the judge of that. You're going to love serving on the dream team. The people love you and care for you and you get purpose and you, you find fulfillment. I'll be the judge whether or not I'm supposed to do that. Be a tither. Be a contributor. Give. And when you do, you're changing the world. Your money's going places you'll never be able to go. I don't know if that's true. I'll be the judge of that. Give your all on your business. Give your all when you walk into your job. When you walk in on Monday morning, give your very best. You're not working for them. You're working for the Lord. I don't know if He deserves all of my respect or not. I'll be the judge of that. We say things like, yeah, maybe you've heard people say this. Not y'all, but people who go to other churches, other Christians that you know talk like this. He's an okay guy, but you know he's just really into himself. 
you know, she's great at what she does, but, you know, I, she's just not a good mother. Her kids are just, they just run wild, you know. He's an okay person. I like him as a person. I mean, it's not personal. He's just a bad leader. They're just not good leaders. They're just terrible. I like her as a friend, but she's just not a good wife, you know. And I know what good wifing is because I'm right. And she's not a good wife. And, and, and I, I like her and all. I've met church experts. Oh, I'm about to meddle now. I'm not even preaching anymore. I've met church, none of y'all, but other Christians I've known. I've met church experts who don't even go to church. That's like me giving you gym advice. I got the little card to get into Planet Fitness. I've just never been. I mean, I'm sure it's nice in there. I pay them for to keep it really nice. I hope they're doing their job. But I got nothing to share with you. But I've met church experts who don't give, don't show up, don't serve, not on the dream team, aren't in a small group, but they're right. Keep looking straight ahead. This church is just too shallow, you know. I just... I know deep, I know depth, and this is a little shallow. I mean, I've been raised in deep waters. I kind of, I had somebody tell us one time, we're just used to a powerful church. <laughs> I said, well, when you showed up, all the power left. <laughs> I know, I know, I know good preaching. And I mean, this church is, it's just a little boring for me. I like the music, but the preaching's terrible. I like the preaching, but I can't stand the music. It's just terrible. I love the kids' ministry, but they don't really have the best student ministry. I love the student ministry, but the kids' ministry is terrible. I love the women's ministry. There is no men's ministry. The men's ministry is awesome. I don't like the women's ministry over there. They just don't really have anything for me. I wish I could take that kids' ministry and that student ministry and that preaching and that worship and put them all together and I'd have my perfect church. Now, none of y'all said that. I've just heard other Christians that go to other churches say stuff like that. Church experts. Judgmental. I, I know the right way. I know how marriage is supposed to go. I know how, I know how, I know how a leader is supposed to act. I, I'm right, you see, and you're wrong. And God put me in this office so that I could, I could set everybody else straight. God put me on this, on this campus so I could set everybody. Here's the truth of the matter. I know you think you're the most right. I know you think you're the smartest. I know we think we're the best. The Pharisee said, I'm right. I know I'm right. I know I got the right approach. I got the right political view. I know how to spend money. I know the right Bible version. I know what to wear. I'm the smartest guy in the room. I trust my heart. My heart is right. Here's the problem. You can't trust your heart. Your heart is sinful. The Bible said it is deceitful. It is evil above everything else. Who can know your own heart? Inside you and I. We may be right. Write it down like this. You may be right, but you may not be loving. What if you're right? What if you're right, but you're not loving? Thank God I'm not like the adulterer. You know what, Pharisee, you're right. You're just not loving. What if you're right about your political stance, but you're not compassionate and loving and caring to people who differ from you? What if you're right about the way the country's going, but your Facebook posts alienate people who believe differently than you? I'm helping somebody today. 
What if you're right in your marriage, but you live in constant turmoil because you're constantly telling your spouse how wrong they are and how they did it wrong and you did it right? What if you're right and you're not loving? Listen, I didn't put it on the screen, but you need to write it in your notes. You can make a point or you can make a difference, but often you can't do both. Christians, listen to me. we got to get this right because the world's looking. This is the end times. I'm, I'm preaching an end time message series later on in this year. We're living in the end time. Jesus could come back at any moment now. Somebody asked me, Pastor, are these the last days? I don't know, but these are my last days. These are all I got. I'm, I'm going to live every day I got on purpose, everybody. But here's what I do know. As the world gets darker and darker, you and I are going to have to get this stuff right. We're going to have to get relationships right. We're going to have to get this stuff in between us right right because the world is watching and it doesn't care if you're making your point it cares if you're making a difference can I preach to a little bit of y'all can I can I help you for a little bit Bono and Oprah shouldn't do more for the world than Jesus blood-bought Holy Spirit filled believers we should be changing the world We should be feeding the poor. We should be serving our neighbors. We should be the most loving. We should be the most giving. We should be the lighthouse. We should be the place where where grace lives. We should be the place that's serving and loving and giving and going. But we, we stand on moral high ground. We're more right, but we're not more loving. And some of the relationships you have in your life are bad. They're broken because you're trying to be right. Instead of trying to be loving, if you're still there, say amen. I can tell you all about how right I am. I can tell you how I do. Like the Pharisee, man, I pay my tithe. Man, I give my offerings. I never even watch TVMA. Y'all know what that is, don't you? I never even watch, I I don't watch rated R stuff. I don't look at porn. I don't drink alcohol. I hadn't smoked marijuana since college. I I just... I'm kidding. I've never smoked marijuana. I just, I've done it. You know I'm kidding right now. I eat a I eat a high protein, low carb diet. Just ask me. I work out five days a week. I date my wife once a week. I paid off on my credit card. I got no debt. I drive a nice car. Don't you want to follow Jesus? Look how good I am. Look how right I am. Look how I got all the answers. Look how I'm right about this. Don't you want to follow the God that I follow? No, not really. You may be right, but you're not very loving about it. People aren't drawn to Jesus because you're right. People aren't drawn to Jesus because you win arguments. People are drawn to Jesus because you're loving. Say amen to that. Jesus is the only one who never sinned. He is Always right. I know your husband says he's that way, but he's not. Jesus is the only man who's always done it right. And listen to this. Even though he was without sin, he drew sinful people to himself. Now this bears the question. How does someone who who doesn't sin, how is he able to draw sinners to himself? How is someone who is always right able to be around and influence people who are wrong? How is someone who doesn't sin able to be around all of these sinful people? Jesus went to parties and sinners flocked to Him. Jesus one time had a prostitute, a, a practicing known prostitute, go to the house He was at 
opened perfume and poured all over his feet. Can you imagine Good Morning America talking about a religious leader if a known prostitute came to the house and poured perfume all over his feet? How, how does this sinless person have all of these sinners around him? He goes to Jericho, spends a whole day with a tax collector named Zacchaeus. He spends all this time with a woman at the well who's been married five times, sleeping with somebody who's not her husband. Why did sinners want to be around Jesus? Write this in your notes. Because Jesus didn't make them feel wrong. He made them feel loved. And the key to godly, God-honoring, Jesus-pointing relationships is to not make people feel wrong all the time. Make them feel loved every time they're around you. Can I get a better amen? Make them feel loved. Jesus didn't make them feel wrong. He made them feel Love. Jesus, John 13 and 1, knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. He loved people who were never converted. He loved people who didn't put their faith in him. He loved people who didn't leave their sinful life. He loved people who rejected him. He loved to the end. One of the hardest things to realize is Jesus loved Judas. I can't tell you this for a fact. This is not you don't. This isn't factual. There's some, probably some Bible scholars in here that are right, and I'm wrong. The Bible says that the twelve foundations in the New Jerusalem, that on the inscribed on the foundations of heaven, the twelve foundations of heaven are the names of the twelve apostles. I happen to believe Judas's name is there. An original 12 apostle. Because even though he died far from God, God's call on his life was the same. Jesus served him the same, knowing he would be a betrayer. At the Last Supper, Judas is at the Last Supper. He's not just there, but Judas has already made a deal for the head of Jesus. He's already sold out his relationship for 30 pieces of silver. He actually has it with him. He's carrying it with him. And the Bible says Jesus gets on his hands and his knees and washes his, he washes Judas' feet while Judas is carrying the price of his betrayal. John 13 and 33 says, My children... I will be with you only a little while longer. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I'm going, you can't come. So, Judas, I've got a new command to give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. Verse 35, by this, by the way that you love people you disagree with, by the way that you love people that you know are wrong, By the way that you love people that aren't like you, far from God, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How do people know that you're a disciple of Jesus? How do people know that you follow Jesus? It's not by what you vote. It's not by what you post. It's not by what protest you show up to. They know you belong to Jesus because of how you treat people that aren't like you. How you love people. Shout amen to that everybody. I'm helping all of us who feel like you're right. You're not as right as you think you are. And you can be right and still be wrong. You can win the argument and not win the relationship. They know we belong to Jesus by how we love one another. 
Let me give you three things you do when you think you're right. Write these down if you're taking notes. I'm going to give you three things when I, when I know I'm right. This is the attitude I have. When I know I'm right, I feel moral superiority. When I know I'm right, I feel morally superior. Well, pastor, I am right. Well, I have the moral high ground here. Well, my argument is right. Well, this is the correct way. And listen, I'm not telling you there's a mushy middle. I'm not telling you there's some great, there's some stuff that's black and white. I'm not telling you there isn't right and wrong. I'm telling you how you talk about right and wrong matter to God. Are you there, everybody? I'm telling you the posture of your heart is more important than the posture of your position. When, when, when you know you're right, you feel morally superior. Number two, when I know I'm right, I become judgmental in my life. I start judging everything. Well, this isn't good, and they're not right, and this place isn't good, and that church isn't good, and that business isn't right, and this job, and that boss, and that leader, and that team, and those people. I know better. that This just isn't right. I know right, and this isn't right. When you think you are, you become judgmental. Number three, when I know I'm right, I become easily angered and offended. I take that stuff on the inside of me that says I'm right and I become offended and angry at people who are wrong. This is the, ap- the absolute opposite of how Jesus would act, how Jesus would treat people. I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you. There's a New Testament scripture. I, I don't have time to read you the whole story. But the Bible said that the Pharisees, the, the, the religious leaders of the day, they caught a woman in the very act of adultery. You remember this story? They caught her in the very act of adultery. Now, I have a few questions to begin with. Number one, how did all the religious leaders know where the woman who committed adultery lived? Number two, they only caught her. Where's the brother? Come on, I'm from eastern Arkansas. We say it like this. It takes two to tango. Are you with me, everybody? There was a brother somewhere they let slip out the back door. But they bring her to Jesus. By the way, if you're looking for a modern-day parable of what's happening with cancel culture, this is it. This story is that parable. They bring her to Jesus. I love this. They didn't bring Jesus to her. They bring her to Jesus. Because they wanted to bring her to the town square. They wanted to put her right in front of everybody. And they call a big crowd together. And they go, Jesus, we're right. The law of Moses is right. And the Bible says, the law of Moses says... She's caught in the act of adultery. You're supposed to stone her. What do you say? We're right. She's wrong. We got the moral high ground. She's wrong. We have all the answers. She's wrong. We're, we're on the right side of this story. She's not. What do you say? And the Bible says, you know this if you, if you know your Bible. The Bible says Jesus bends down and starts writing in the sand. Now, we don't know what he's writing. The Bible isn't clear. It's silent on what he's writing, but I have a thought. I don't know if this is true. When you get to heaven, you ask him, but I think I'm right about this. I, when, he get, when he gets, he writes in the sand. I think he writes the names of the women that all of those religious leaders had been with. I think he bends down and he writes, Sally, Betty. I don't know any other women's names that aren't in church. I'm I'm trying not to pick names of people I know. Sally and Betty, I love you. I don't mean that. He looked at the woman, come play. So I can close. He looks at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? 
her head's down. She looks up. She says, I don't see anybody. He says, I don't, I don't condemn you either. Now listen, 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 because I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. He doesn't let her off the hook for the sin. He actually looks at her and says, I'm not condemning you either, but go and sin no more. It's not about whether or not you're right. It's how you're right. It's that grace comes first. That The Bible says, Jesus, we beheld the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're into hermeneutics and how you study your Bible, it's called the law of first mention. Grace comes before truth. Grace without truth is sloppy. Truth without grace is mean. Grace comes first. Well, how, how when I'm right? I'll tell you. When I know I'm right, I'm judgmental and morally superior and I'm easily offended when I know, listen to this, write this down. When I know I'm forgiven, I've got profound gratitude. Let me tell you, the biggest blockade in your life to pride is gratitude. The biggest weapon you have against pride in your heart, in your marriage, in your job, at your school, on your team, in this church, the biggest Guard you have against pride and spiritual pride is gratitude. If you'll walk in every day and go, I love this church. I love it. I love that short preacher. That little fella is funny. I love him. <laughs> That's what I would say if I were you. I love this worship. I love this team. I love my small group. Walk into your office tomorrow. Man, I, I'm thankful for my job. I'm telling you. You'll change the spiritual climate of your work life. 40, 50, 60 hours a week you spend in that office. You could talk about how right you are and how wrong they are. Or you could say, I'm grateful. Man, I'm thankful. Thankful I got a job. You want to change this? Listen, man, let me give us a little, let me give you a, 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 a tip. This isn't a marriage message, but I'm going to help us today. You want to help your wife? You want to encourage your wife? You want a better marriage? Quit talking about how wrong she is. Walk in and say, thank you. I'm a slob. I appreciate you cleaning my clothes. Thank you for cooking. You don't follow it up with, it was terrible and burnt. Just say, thank you for cooking. <laughs> Come on, everybody. It'll guard your heart. Gratitude. will. When I know I'm forgiven, I have profound gratitude. Number two, when I know I'm forgiving, I'm, I'm forgiven, I become more accepting. I become more accepting. Now listen, accepting isn't the same as affirming. Accepting doesn't mean I condone your sin. It just means you're welcome in my presence. Doesn't mean that I'm wrong and now you're right. Doesn't flip the script. But it does mean I'm not as right as I think I am. When I know I'm forgiven, I'm overflowing with love. Number three, I'm overflowing with love. You can't ever change people by judging them, but you can by loving them. We rarely change people by telling them how right we are. You'll rarely have a good marriage, good job, good relationship, good church, good small group by being right. But you will by being loving. By realizing, man, I probably don't have all the answers here. 
man, I probably don't have all this figured out. I, I'll be honest with you. I, there's some stuff I just, I probably don't know. There's probably some details I don't know. There's probably more to the story. I'm just going to be full of grace and love. You know why? Because I'm forgiven. And when I realize how forgiven I am, man, I can go into every relationship forgiving. Are you still with me, everybody? This is God's way in your life. But I'm right. I know. You're just not as right as you think you are. But I, but I, have, I have the answers. I just wish somebody would come to me. and I know. But I'm spiritual. I know. Hey, let me talk to all the spiritual people for just a moment. I don't know why we use this in weddings. A lot of times preachers use 1 Corinthians 13 in weddings. It's not written about weddings. It's actually written about Christian living. This is what Paul said about all the spiritual people who are right. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, and I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Let me, let me give it to you in eastern Arkansas. You can talk in tongues and gossip in English and be wrong. Or Spanish. Como se dice gossip. Jesus, man. Are you with me? I, it, you don't know. I'm, be, I'm more spiritual than them. Okay. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Boy, you talk about spiritual. And I have faith that can move mountains. Man, you seem right. But if you don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all, verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor, that's the gift of giving, by the way. Romans 12, the gift of generosity. And I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not love. I gain nothing. By the way, this, this passage is for spirit-filled believers like you and I. This is a spirit-filled church. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit here. We believe in tongues and interpretation and working of miracles and the gift of faith and the gift of prophecy. We believe in all of that. We practice the gifts of the Spirit here. But listen to me. The gifts of the Spirit are subject to the fruit of the Spirit. I'm preaching all summer about the Spirit. You better buckle up for that. It's the summer of the Spirit. I'm preaching the whole summer about the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling all of these tongue-talking, faith-healing, faith-that-can-move-mountain Christians, the gifts of the Spirit flow out of the fruit of the Spirit. And if you don't have love, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, it doesn't matter how much faith-healing you do because the world's not changed by gifts. The world's changed by love. It's, you can be right. But you're not as right as you think you are. God, I thank you I'm not like all them. God, I thank you that I'm, I'm in the right church. You are in the right church, by the way. God, I thank you that I got the right relationship. God, I thank you I'm not like my kids or my grandparents. I thank you I'm not like that group or that group. No. I'm going to be like that tax collector says, God, listen, I got issues. I got problems. I'm not as good as husband as I think I am. I don't have a ton of marriage advice. That's why we're going to marriage conference in a couple of weeks. But I have learned this in 23 years. The quickest way to have a good night in Rose Ranch is for me to say, I'm sorry, I was probably wrong about that. I'm sorry. Sometimes, man, you just need to apologize just you don't even know why. 
I'm pretty sure I did something dumb today, Brandy. I'm sorry. I just want you to know. You don't have to be right all the time. You know the quickest way to win a coworker who's far from God? It's not by being right. It's by being loving. You know the quickest way to win that child, that 20-year-old who's far from God? You think, man, I raised them better than this. I raised them right. You don't have to be right. You can be loving. I can be full of grace. You can be right the wrong way. So let's just decide, you know what, I'm forgiven. I need grace. I need mercy. In every relationship in my life, I'm going to come in with humility. I'm going to come with love. I'm going to come. I'm not trying to make a point. Listen, I'm trying to make a difference. Trying to make a difference. Now, Lord Jesus, bow your heads. Father, I pray for people whose relationships feel broken today and who may many times feel the way I do that I'm right. I got the right answers. I got the right position I'm doing the right thing and but it's hurting it's hurting my marriage hurting our relationships hurting our friendships it's hurting my job it's hurting the people I'm closest to so God I just repent come on won't you tell him that God I just I'm sorry if that's the way that I've approached every relationship in my life I'm probably not as right as I think I am probably not as good as I think I am Probably don't have all the answers like I think I do. I can tell you this though, I'm forgiven. I'm grateful for that. I'm still in process. God, you're still working on me and I'm grateful for that. God, you haven't given up on me and I'm grateful for that. So search my heart, God. Help me to live in that posture of humility, always knowing that I'm, I'm forgiven. God's been gracious to me so I can be full of grace to others. Now, if you've never experienced that forgiveness, I want to give you a chance to do that today. I don't want to close a day without giving you a chance to experience that forgiveness that really, it's the motivation for how you deal with others. Like every relationship in your life flows from this one. If you get this one right, every other relationship gets better. If your relationship with God's broken, fractured, cold, distant, no other relationship feels close. So if you need to come home today and give your hearts to Jesus, if you never prayed a prayer of surrender, giving your heart to the Lord, I want to lead you in that today. I can't pray it for you, but I can pray it with you. As a matter of fact, everybody in church today, why don't you join us and pray out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe God raised you from the dead, and I need you. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. There's wrong stuff in me. Stuff in my past, stuff I'm involved in, things I've said, things I've thought, dark things in my heart that no one else knows. Here's the part you can pray from the depths of your soul. Listen, pray this way so I give them to you. Forgive me, Jesus. Cleanse me, Jesus. Make me brand new. Save me today. Be the Lord of my life for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, and everybody shout a big amen. Amen. Do you receive the word of the Lord today, everybody? Once you put your hands together for God's word. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. 
So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.